welcome on in. Enswell Boxing, Ireland's boxing podcast. I'm Al Rich. Click on the link in the attached show notes. You'll find all our previous episodes. If you want to get in touch, suggestions, ideas, you'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or you can email us at endswellpod at pearlhanmail.com. Welcome on in is right. It's been a minute. We've took a little time. Do a little dance. <laughs> little bit of downtime to um, refresh the mind, clear the head, clear the boards, build the studio, update the machinery. I'll tell you all that in a few minutes, but it is an absolute privilege and a pleasure to be in your ears for this fresh, brand new episode. Coming up in this episode, we're going to have a look back over what's gone on over the last couple of weeks. We're going to have a look at what's coming up over the next week or so. A huge fight on the horizon. A huge fight. Loma versus Lopez. we look at that in detail. We're going to catch up with our old pal Jazza Dickens. To the Irish family, you'll never be the Irish. <laughs> we're also going to have a look at the phenomenal boxing documentary that was aired recently on the BBC One True North series. It's when boxing ends. People see you, they see you fight on Sky TV and they see you fighting this glamorous night and they think you're, you know, everybody's thinking as a millionaire, you know, walking around going, ah, many men have you got now, stuff like that there. We'll have the documentarian, the writer, the producer and the director, Ali McKenzie is going to join me to have a little chat about that. And I'm delighted also to be joined by a fella who doesn't need much introduction to boxing fraternity. Certainly there is an lore to professional boxing because we associate it more so with this sort of glitz and glamour of the sport. And I suppose for a lot of amateur fighters that will be the ultimate. Gavin Casey, he's a journalist, he's staff writer, he's editor, but above all else, he's a boxing fan. He joins us to talk about when boxing ends, his part in it, and I suppose... Shoot the breeze in general and just talk about boxing. But before I do any of that, I want to return to a little tradition that I started almost around this time. This time last year almost. Yeah, we're almost a year. We're almost a year and a half up and running. Would you believe that? So I've got to get a few shout outs done. Some people who reached out to me since the last episode. And i got to be, I got to admit, i got to be honest, thought I was hiding it. Thought I was doing well. I thought I was keeping the best foot forward. But I ought to have known better. I can't hide it from you, can I? You, here you listen to me and you're smiling as I say it. You knew well. Thank you very much. Listen, it means the world to me and it was a rough couple of weeks. But we're back. And listen, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You get the best foot forward. You turn that frown upside down. You use all the cliches and any cliches and you do what you got to do. Get back at it. Get up when you can't get up. So I want to give a shout out, a special mention, of course, to Joey and Dobba, my old pal. Joey, where would I be without you at times? You just have that knack. And as I typed this, as I wrote this last night... You're not going to believe this. I'm recording it now Monday morning. I was sat at the table last night at five past ten past one. And I get a little beep on the phone. And who is it only Joy herself? How are you getting on, pal? Listen, you're an old star. And I appreciate it very much. And I value it very much. And I hope you, Dobbo and the gang are all keeping well. And Dobbo, keep an eye out for the old cat, will you? We'll, <laughs> we'll have to get that story told shortly. It's a, it's a pretty good one. And it's a great laugh. But listen, thanks again to you, Joey. Appreciate it a lot. Billy Schwer, my favourite agent in the world, never fails to bring a smile every week, consistently. He's the man, and he'll be back with us very soon as well. We're going to do his seven points. That'll be a treat. Ollie Toy, you're the man. You are the man, Ollie. Cannot tell you how much I appreciated that, and thank you. It was Ollie who arranged the message for my old pal Sean from the one and only Lights Out, James Tony. So, 
shout out to you appreciate it and I'll be in touch with you really soon Davy Smith hope you Kyle and the family are all keeping well you're looking good he's looking fit he's looking strong might not be any championships this year but keep him ready keep him ready he'll keep you ready that's for sure to Joe Fino Pedro and all the gang of reprobates down there in Mount Melick who've had as rough a couple of weeks and rougher than I've had keep it lit lads keep it going you're a star Alan arranged for me to have a message as well from the PDC thrower Dennis the Menace Dennis Priestley of course for my pal and um, appreciate that very much Al really do Dave Caldwell Ollie Wayne McCullough Delvoy Chisora James Tony, Jazza Dickens Colm Cahill anyone else that helped me put that video together um, for Sean was just I can't thank you enough it, it, from the bottom of my heart thank you and we just about made it we were, we were on a timeline like you'll never have before a deadline like you'll never have before and we made it and we and he got to hear it just before he, he um just before his his uh, his journey ended and I'm he he heard it and he got a response and that's what it was all about so thank you to, from the bottom of my soul to everybody and anybody that helped me with that it means the world and I'm going to dedicate this episode to the memory of the one and only Sean Dowlin who hailed and reigned in Mount Melick and I, before I finish the shout outs I want to give a special one of course to Sinead Kavanagh who had a phenomenal win and she'll be with us on she'll be on with us really soon with those uh, Thor's hammer fists of hers I'm going to have a chat with her this week and last but very minds no least Charlie Ward had a phenomenal win as well and Charlie Hales of course from Mount Melick thanks to you Charlie thanks to everybody else that's happened I'm not leaving anybody out intentionally if you want to get a little mention here on this let's get the shout outs going again because it brings a smile to people's face it warms the old toes and that's what it's all about now as we know the previous series that ran modus operandi uh, it's not all out on youtube yet i have the first one episode done i'll do the, the three four the two three and four i'll get them up to you in the next week or two i promise you that very much because i know a lot of people like to listen on youtube there's a certain degree of anonymity that you don't get on social media so i get that and i'll have it ready and i need to make a more concerted effort to get it up there more often as well so um one of the main protagonists on that episode, one of the main contributors, of course, being one of the four finalists, was our favourite Liverpudlian, Kit Jazza Dickens. Unless you've been living under a rock over the last week or two, we all know now that Jazza, of course, failed a COVID-19 test in the run-up to that and was subsequently removed from the hotel the day of the fight. It just brought somewhat of a cloud over the whole uh, event. Not because of I mean it just had to you know it was going to be a phenomenal fight it promises to be a phenomenal fight it will be a phenomenal fight still but so close to the fight night all the work done the two lads so fit and healthy we know how it goes and our own man of course Tyrone fell at the final hurdle no shame in defeat none whatsoever it wasn't the best of finals if we're being honest it was very tricky and very hard to score some had him up some had him down Bottom line is, he didn't get the result on the night. It's far from the end of the world, and what it's done is it's proven that, that O.D. now gets a chance to be O.D. without having to be something he's not, without having to try. And you've heard him tell the story here about how he's tried too hard in the past, maybe, to sell fights and be something he's not. And now he gets a chance just to box, be himself, focus on what he's good at doing. So here's hoping he does. Congratulations to O.D. Commiserations to Tyrone. In my little sabbatical over the last few days, I've made a couple of notes of things that I want to do. So I'm going to start revisiting episodes. Today is the start of that. Jazza joined me on Saturday. As usual, full to the hilt of beans, smiles. And if this doesn't make you smile on a cold, dreary winter day, I don't know what will. Mate, I have to say, my heart sank. I'm sure you've heard all the cliches. I honestly thought someone was joking. 
Yeah, I asked Derry. I asked Derry three times. I said, don't mess, Derry. Don't mess, don't mess. And he was serious. You've bounced back fairly good. You're okay now. You're doing good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All good, boss. All good. I think it's safe to say um, Irish and Scouts are, are similar, aren't we? Yeah, I don't think I've never got on with an Irish man. Especially someone from like in Dublin and stuff like that. I don't think I've never got on with one. It's what makes the affinity so special. We're just the same people, aren't we? Yeah, when we decided we were leaving all those years ago, we stopped in Liverpool and some never left. <laughs> Everybody now knows what happened and how it's gone. and It, it must have been just devastating, was it? The initial reaction, uh, I was I was in disbelief, I was in denial. So I was saying to Derry, I asked him three or four times, no, Derry, stop, stop messing, Derry, don't mess. He said, he said, if Derry phoned me and said, come to my room, Jazz. We got the um, the message off of Ian Ian Ritchie who, who was giving out the the COVID test results and he said come to the room Jazz got just come um, so I went to the room and he said Jazz you've tested positive and, and as you can imagine it's just fucking my heart sank and I said don't mess there I thought he was saying it because he knew how well and how fit we were he knew, he knew how fit I am and how well I was and how, how we were prepared I thought that that was the joke. I, so I said, don't mess there. And he went, no, Jazz, I'm not. I said, don't mess there. And he said, I'm not. And he said, I asked him one more time or something. I just went into a bit of a black hole after that. So it was just fucking, as you can imagine, heartbreaking. I just fucking sat down against the wall with my hands on my head and just prayed to God. Just said to God, I trust your will. Whatever you've got planned, God, I trust you. Mm-hmm. But the pain was too much for me. I just gave answers over to God and said... I trust, I trust you, God. I trust you, Lord. Whatever you've got planned, just do, do your will. And I told me bed, and she was a bit. She didn't think she believed me either. <laughs> and I just grabbed her hands, grabbed her by the hands, and looked her in the eyes, and just trust what the, God, the Lord's got planned. Just got to trust yeah. in the Lord. What we've got to do right now, we've got to trust in what He's got planned, and and not question it. Because if we do, that's when all the good work will be gone. So there was a lot of positive side of it. You know what I mean? I'd already made the weight. And I know, I know how strong I'm going to be in the fight. I know, I know what, what I've got to do again, and I'm happy, looking forward to coming into camp again. You know what I mean? And I know you're working on your humility and you're working on yourself and everything else. But mate, that's a that's a credit to you. It's a credit to your family. And I got a beautiful message from I think it was from your aunt. The message that night to us, quote unquote, the family. There's a T-shirt in that, mate. Without a doubt, there's a brand in that for you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you heard that here first. So whenever you do, get me one. Your body language spoke volumes, Jazza. Your face, your body language. Again, the sign of the man. You wanted to let the people know what was going on. You wanted to let them know, but you were you were heart you were beyond heartbroken, and we could see it. In even if you never spoke a word, it was just gonna look forward. You know what I mean? I can't I can't not stop. There's no I, I know what when you say when you said then you said there's probably not a thing that can there's probably not a worse thing that could could happen to you when it comes to faith. And when I got home, I looked around, I looked at my family, and I re- what I did realise how selfish it could be in the past, and I looked at myself, me own, me, me, me. And the truth is, there's a lot worse that can happen. No one died, do you know what I mean? I didn't lose a family member, and and, and life goes on, no matter what, do you know what I mean? So, yeah, it, it went away a situation that, that couldn't, that, that could have happened. And I looked around myself, and I said, I'm just so grateful to God that I'm not losing a family member, I'm not losing another one because right now somewhere somebody is so I'm just grateful that that's not me and I, I always believe that there's no camp wasted do you know what I mean yeah never is the camp wasted and sometimes you get half a camp it goes tits up sometimes you get three quarters of camp it goes tits up but this time I got the full camp the only thing I never got to do was weigh in as I was on the weight I was underweight woke up under the weight I, I got to didn't get to weigh in or fight so 
it was a full camp, you know what I mean? I got the whole camp out of it, so there's a lot of positives there. Tell you someone else that came to mind when when it happened as well. When it all the initial shock was was Georgie, because a, a man of his age and uh, as his at his stage of life, it, it could have been dangerous as well for him. So, but big regards and big love to him from here as well, because uh, he's a vital part of not just your story but of of boxing in Liverpool. Yeah, thank you for that. Appreciate that. Yeah, well, I was just that was another thing. We were just glad me and Zeri because Zeri could test the positive. Also, we were just glad that Georgie hadn't tested positive as well. You know. Yeah. That was that was like a big that was a big relief for us that George hadn't George went and took a test and then he was he was negative so that was good. Those old boys are tougher than they look, aren't they? Yes, <laughs> yeah. He yeah. took his heart rate last week in the gym. I put my my um, Apple Watch on Georgie, and his heart rate midday was something like seventy. So that means in his sleep he must have been fifty sixty. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a resting heart rate for an eighty-two year old man. Georgie was born in nineteen thirty-seven, I think. Unbelievable! Man, we'll have to organise someday when you're back training and when you're everything for you when you're in the gym to actually try and get a word with him because he sounds like the sort of fella that just yeah you'll get two words out of Georgie and that's fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> that'll do. That'll do. Georgie doesn't speak to anyone. If anyone asks him, he goes fuck off. It's all about me. Brilliant! Brilliant! And I wouldn't have expected any less from you. Touch of class. You reached out and you spoke to your opponent and you and you and you chatted with Ryan. There's a lot of people. If we're being honest about it, I know you don't judge your life by other people or measure it. That's a tough thing to do as well. The tough thing for me to do in that situation would not not yeah. do. I haven't got Ryan's phone number. He doesn't use social media. Um, I said to Zeddy, Zeddy, can you please try and get right up? One of the first things is done when we was in the car. We had to go out the back door of the hotel. We couldn't speak to no one around the car and all. And um. I said, I said, Daddy, can you get Ryan's number for me? So phone with him and said, Lads, I'm just sorry. I don't, even, I don't even feel sick myself. I feel, feel robbed as well as you. I'm sorry. Um, hopefully, like the Lord's got a plan or what have you. And, we, and I'm, I'm, we'll get this. We're hopefully something better coming for us both, you know. And I'm, I'm like, I'm sorry to him and his family because I you know he must have given so much for, uh, and sacrifice. And it cost a lot of money as well, do you know what yeah. I mean? So it's like, and, and he said, I appreciate that, Jazz. Yeah. So thank you for phoning me. I feel a little bit better now. And, yeah, I think we were both in that boat. Everyone was in that boat, do you know what I mean? Um, did you get a chance to watch the two lads? Couldn't watch it. I was, I was out Yeah, I, I, I guess that. I was sitting at home. I, I've been documenting everything. I've made the old camp on, it's on YouTube, on my YouTube. Um, so I, I, docu- I put a little thing. I, I took a little video and I said, I just can't watch it. I feel too sick. I, I'm sitting on my couch now and I should be live on Sky Sports, do you know what I mean? So you go on the Sky Sports. I was on Sky, looking at the Sky Sports, the uh, the preview for the for the what was going to come on the channel. Do you know what I mean? It's Jazzy Dickens versus Ryan Walsh. I'm watching a program that says it's going to be Jazzy Dickens versus Ryan Walsh, but I'm sitting on the couch, crazy. What we got now is the initial shock is over. You guys are all ready to go again, and we've got one hell of a cracking fight to come to look forward to again. And it's back to camp, isn't it? Back to camp, as me and Georgie have been saying for a good while now. Here we go again. And um, um, what we have spoken, we will have our own bill. We will have our own bill, me and Ryan. So there's more, there's, there's more of a story around the fight. The fight will be bigger now. we got to get a hashtag going, Famalam. Everybody's going to know what that means then as well. So last <laughs> thing, just give us a word of us to, to the Famalam and to the Irish branch of the Famalam as well. Give us a shout out and, and what we can expect for the next couple. And, and thanks again for your time. Um, I'm grateful for the opportunity. And um, just to the Irish Famalam, You'll never beat the Irish! <laughs> <laughs> How about that? Funny, real, positive, uplifting. Jazza Dickens for me, 
he has a gift as well as being a champion boxer a champion in the ring and all that he does it goes beyond boxing he has a calling I believe goes beyond boxing his positive approach and that ability to turn the lowest low into a positive it's, 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 it's beyond rare and it's, it's super inspiring I look forward to speaking to Jazza all the time and I come away from speaking to him just buzzing just buzzing and feeling good so more luck to you my mate thank you for your time on a Saturday evening plenty to be doing didn't have to give me anything but he did and he does always since I spoke to Jazza would you believe on Saturday the final has been refixed it now goes ahead as part of a double header with the light heavyweight final on December 2nd which is a Wednesday so we'll be in touch We'll be hearing from Jazza a good bit more and I'll also endeavour to reach out to Ryan over the next couple of days as well and see how he's doing. But moving on for now, Belfast documentarian Ali McKenzie is on a roll lately. His hard-hitting, honest and real-life short documentaries The Void and The Search were just gripping. They were just gripping. They burned into... the. They burned themselves into my memory and pretty much from what I can hear anybody who saw them. His latest is something of a labour of love I think it's fair to say. When Boxing Ends is a fascinating look at the beautiful brutal truth of a sport which if, which let's face it most casual observers never really see and never really care to see either. True North production features four Belfast boxers three of them champions from different eras Brian McGee Eamon McGee, Ryan Burnett and of course our pal here, Tyrone McKenna. I'm delighted to say I spoke to Ali at length over the weekend about the documentary, about boxing, about everything that goes in to making any such film but in this particular one the fact that it was a labour of love and it was something so close to his own heart and people that he knew so well brought a little bit of added bonus, a little bit of added pressure as well and I started off by asking Ali about True North and what, what's behind that yeah so uh, True North is just a series um, from BBC Northern Ireland I think Justin Bynan was the brains behind it but basically it's like to give audiences an insight into what life is like in Northern Ireland through different means so like for example there's been episodes about florist shops episodes about what it's like to go to your first formal all these sorts of things. Um, I've directed one up to date, which was about a gospel choir in Belfast. And then obviously got the When Boxing Ends through it. So basically it's a vehicle just to show what life is like in Northern Ireland for, for certain people. It's it's basically yeah. shining a light on, on the um, on the good and the great of, of, of a fantastic city. Yeah, and also just trying to find stories and characters and people who are interesting, you know. And I think that's the, the main thing. If you're making documentaries, you just want to find, you know, ordinary people with extraordinary stories. And I think it's fair to say, in in um, when boxing ends, you've you've unearthed probably the four four of the best examples, certainly in Belfast, if not in professional boxing today. They're all um, what's the what would be the best way? They're all unique. They're all fantastic mm-hmm. fighters, but they're all versatile and very very different characters, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. And look, one of the things once we once the BBC actually released the first thing, which was about twenty seconds long we got emails and we got messages being like, why did you not choose this guy? Why did you not choose that guy? Oh, you should have done it on him. and You should have done it on him. And I was like, I, I just couldn't wait for people to watch it because I think they thought that we were just focusing on certain world champions and it was going to be about how successful they were. But I was like, look, wait until you see the film and you'll understand. We're just picking 
four stories that we think are relevant to our overall storyline, which is when boxing ends. And, you know, you know yourself, Belfast is a fighting city. It has any amount of world champions, any amount of former boxers that we could have picked from. But we kind of wanted to keep it within, you know, recent memory for people. We didn't want to go back too far. So um, we stuck with Brian McGee, who finished about 10 years ago, Eamon, who finished about 15 years ago, and then Ozzy Ryan, who finished just about a year and a half ago. So, um, yeah, I think I think the, the stories that we found and the people that we got were just incredible. I don't want to use the wilder to this date, but uh, to the, right up to now, Brian is... <laughs> to this day? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to this, that's pretty good, man. You're really right. You've rehearsed that well. <laughs> just running with Ali's been rehearsing that there off camera for the last, for the last few hours to get it right. <laughs> Brian is, right up to now, has been the only one that I've actually sat across from, done a personal interview with, and an absolute... <laughs> A story and a half, a film you could get out of it. The fellas, the people that don't know a story, he was in with Frost. Lucy and Beauty. Beauty. He was in with um, the two Danes that, that were two absolute monsters in their time as well. And and even yeah. just to get to, to, to go to win his title fight when he won it, he tells the story and we put the link in today's episode for it as well. But he's, he's and you know what he is? He's one of the nicest fellas. And the thing is, he was a super middleweight, which is, you know, what's one of the prime weights that people would watch anywhere between middleweight and heavyweight. And it just had everything. Yeah, you know, he was in there, like as you said, he's in with Carl Froch, which is incredible. If you look at his resume, the fights that he lost, I think he lost was it five fights. The fights that he did lose were against incredible fighters. You know, there was, and he never ducked anybody or never kind of shied away from a serious fight, which is something that was probably that that was the last generation of that because you know he took every fight. Whereas now it's probably um, since Mayweather's time, it's a bit more hand picked. You pick an opponent who's right for you if you're a champion. Where Brian was just like, I'm just going to fight whoever whoever's put in front of me, um, and it's probably the epitome of the Rocky story, you know. Whereas, literally fighting for his life at times, which yeah. is, I think, incredible. And as you said, could could have, I mean, I I wanted to, but you could make a documentary on Brian just by himself. Something that uh, Carol Frampton said recently, and that I took with Jamie Conlon when I spoke to him as well. There was no, but they didn't have the benefit of a home promoter in those days. They didn't have the benefit of anything. Mm-hmm. You were literally, it was a fight just to get a fight, you know, and that was the case. And yeah. and then it was everything. There was the real, if we want to call it, the real world fight and the real life fight outside of fighting, just to live and survive. Yeah. And that the story that you've told of three different fellas, I, I, Brian would be the consummate professional. He would have lived the life. He would have lived the game. He was an Olympian. He was all the good and the great. I'm, I'm skipping a little bit ahead of myself here because I wanted to talk yeah. about it. But um, of course, then we had um, the real life story of, of Ryan and we had the, the the legend, the enigma himself of, of the Terminator, of Eamon McGee. We'll go to those in a few minutes, but yeah. what, I, what I wanted to skip back to, this documentary, I won't say it's easy because you're a pro, you're the consummate professional. This is your life, livelihood. It, your reputation, your record, everything else precedes you. It, but this one being a labour of love, does that bring a little extra pressure? Does it bring anything else or is it just, this is it, we're going again? It does, it definitely does because it was extremely personal. Like I, I spent four years like so just to go back a step but four years ago um when i was kind of setting up my own business and trying to find an angle and like because obviously there's a lot of people with cameras about and there's a lot of people doing media but i wanted to stand out and i thought there was a niche in boxing so i spent literally just you know jumped into the deep end and started making promos for fighters did them all for free in the early days you know um but i just looked at it as a good way to develop skills in documentary and storytelling so I just worked with fighters and really kind of built the name for myself within boxing um, and worked with all the fighters here. But I always wanted to do something just a little bit more substantial than a, a two or three minute online piece. And, you know, that the idea for the documentary did come around quite a while ago. 
Um, and we got funded to make a taser, but obviously nothing really came of that at the time. So it was nice that it came back around. I think the fact that we were in lockdown maybe helped and there was no sport on TV. That was something that kind of really helped get it over the line. Um, but as for being a labour of love, like this was definitely a labour of love. Yeah. And you it, know, shone, it shines through as well. Sorry to cut across you, but it does shine through. Yeah. Every, I, I, what I've said to you in the past, I've said it to Lou, I've said it to anyone that I, that'll listen to me, something that's very prevalent in all your work is the narrative and it's the emotion. Mm-hmm. Until I asked you about it recently, I was never 100% sure, but that, of course, is one of your traits, isn't it? it it's, it's a style that you're perfecting and that you're, you're honing all the time. That's the thing. You know, when you said a labour of love, it definitely was, and there was pressure that I've never felt before, just from, from myself, to make sure that people were happy with it because... You know, like every other documentary you do, you're working with real life stories and people are actually kind enough to tell you about their best days in their life and their worst days in their life. And, you know, it's up to you to balance that and make sure that you do their story justice. You don't want it to be overly negative. You don't want it to be, you know, paint a picture of happiness when it wasn't happiness, you know, because like boxers train twice a day, they go home often to they're away from their families. It's very difficult. Um, And that's one thing that we do try to get across and anything we work on is like what's at the heart of it and what's the emotion of it you know because that's that's the key thing that's what people connect with you know they will connect with i think boxing and maybe i've been biased and if i am i wear it i don't care but i genuinely think boxing <laughs> is uh is the sport that's that's it's shining throughout this lockdown i think mm-hmm. it's the sport that there's no excuses there's never been any excuses and if anything what yeah. we're getting now is we're getting the better from the away fighters there's no intimidation there's it's it's probably a little bit even more even what you've done in this is shine a light on the real world that people don't really see of boxing. That's definitely what we wanted to do. The, the fact that you said that is good because that's what we wanted people to feel. I think one of the big, big things that I watched and was a big inspiration was Counterpunch, which was a Netflix documentary, and Jay Bulger directed it. Um, I got to know Jay quite well over the past few years. But what Jay did in Counterpunch was he really showed how difficult it was for a fighter to get to where they are. And we've all seen like the boxing movies where life's not easy. But what I really wanted to do was this, to show like a Northern Irish version of these guys have achieved the world, but here's how difficult it was yeah. to get there and how difficult it was after they got there. And I think, you know, for me personally, Ryan Burnett's story in it is just, it's heartbreaking. And when I showed it to my mum, I showed her a previous cut just before it went out and she was in tears and she was like, oh, it's so unfair for him because that was a guy who should still be fighting now, mm. should, you know, should comfortably be making big, big money, um, should have more world titles under his belt. Do you know what I mean? And it was snatched away from him. And you're like, it's just such a cruel sport. And I think Gavin Casey says it really well. It's like, you know, you expect to make the big millions until one day it's just pulled from under your feet. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, what, what am I left with? So, you know, we, we kind of, I think that's the good thing about the mix of contributors we had with Brian, Eamon and Ryan. We showed three different stories of how they got to th- their success and three different stories about how they ended up losing it. Even to go a little bit farther in that one and to, to develop it a little bit, just say, like, even the fellas that do make the millions, and, and, and fortunately, as, as, as terrible a blow and as cruel a blow as it was to see, Ryan, having seen everything you see in boxing on a daily basis, you, you just, it's so freakish. You just couldn't write it. But then, thankfully, oh. thankfully, just before it, he did secure enough to be able to secure his future for him and his, his new wife and shout out to the pair of them and, and many years of, of happiness to them. There's so many fighters, um, Ali, where we hear they've, they've, even just before they get to that precipice, just before they get to that opportunity, it's taken away in a cruel. Yeah, well, that's it. Like, And you see it with uh, Evander Holyfield nearly 30 years after retiring is, is looking to come back and Tyson as well. You know, 
something mm-hmm. that I always find when I watch these documentaries, and, and it's particularly, it mightn't always be boxing, it generally is, but it mightn't always be. I find myself at the end, oh no, I could do it another half hour that. Like, I, is that part yeah. of the trick as well, to leave people wanting more? Like, we could really watch more and more and more and see. It is, like, obviously that that is part of it. You want people feeling like they want more. Half an hour is a very short time to tell um, quite a, an elaborate story that we had. But whenever you're sitting in an edit room, half an hour is very difficult to get to at times. Like, that, you, you know yourself yeah. if you're cutting stuff. So it is difficult ideally what we would like to do you know is like have an hour at this and really explore because one thing i wanted to explore was the fact that uh, a couple of years ago there was like 50 odd professionals turned pro in ireland and like that's a lot of mouths to feed from mm. the table do you know what i mean and there's not too many promoters or managers in ireland working so i was like so where are all these pro boxers like where are they making their money and the fact is that they're making their money in restaurants part-time or they're making their money in car garages or their PT in on the side because boxing isn't paying them. So it was like, it's almost like a professional hobby. And that's part that we really kind of wanted to delve into, which we didn't, unfortunately, didn't have time for. Sequel. You know, because, yeah, well, like like Ryan Burnett said in his interview, he was like, I went 10 fights without getting a paycheck. Yeah. You know, it was just, so like, who's keeping you? Who's like making sure that you've got a roof over your head? Those are all the kind of things that I really wanted to delve into, but we see it now in its entirety. And I knew, thankfully, I've the I've the, the privilege of, of hearing from yourself and sometimes seeing a few little clips before from 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 inception, from the very beginning, from planning, from the time you pick up the pen the first night to write it or plan or whatever else, to the case. I know you said this time there was a little bit of an interval whereby it it, it came back around. But in generally speaking, when it, from the time that it gets commissioned and everything else, what sort of time frame mm-hmm. are we looking at? Your standard thing is like. Um, you know, there'd be open calls once or twice a year for some companies. So what you're always trying to do is get your ideas ready by then. So you'll have like 10 or 12 ideas and then you'll narrow them down and you'll pitch three or four and you're hoping that one of those will stick. And if that gets a go ahead, then, you know, you're shooting. But basically from, from the time of your idea and standard TV, from what I've experienced, from the time you shoot your idea till it goes out to broadcast is usually around about a year, just just maybe just under a year. No matter what we do, especially in what we do, because we're relying, me, I'm relying on the goodwill of, of any boxer or any trainer or yourself or anybody that's willing to give me of, give of me their time. Something that I'm feeling an awful lot more lately, it's as I build relationships with these fellas, it, I become more conscious of it. I become more determined. I want to portray them in the best way. It becomes more important to me as I go along. But mm-hmm. for you on a professional level and on the national TV and international TV and on the scale that it's on, there's a lot goes into it. There's a lot of preparing from it from your point of view. Do you have to prepare contributors? Contributors. contributors. And then, of course, there must be a whole wrath and the team in the background that goes towards putting this together and helping you and the team. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, it's it's such a, a long process. And the fact is, it's okay you saying, like, that you want to make a documentary about when boxing ends and you're going to do this and do that. But, you know, the thing is, whenever you pitch it, you need to have the stories and you need to have the people ready to go and you need to have the trust. And, I think trust is the biggest word, uh, particularly in documentaries and like a relationship with your contributors. And it's something that like we'll often do is just go and spend a day or two with them um, or go like have a beer or have a coffee with them and just get to know them on a personal level. Because, you know, not every contributor, you're not going to become their best friend. Like that's, you know, that's not what you're doing. What you're trying to do is just create a relationship of like honesty for them because you're expecting them to be candid on camera and to tell you what they're feeling and, often to relive some of the worst nights of their life, like when Brian lost and uh, decided to retire. 
you know, so you can't just turn up and do that. So often what we'll do is like meet them or have phone calls at least with them and go back and forth. Um, and what I'll often do before we interview is to ring the person, have a brief conversation, 10, 20 minutes, and just be like, this is what the documentary is about. Here's what we're looking for. We're looking for stories along this lines. What stories do you have that fits in within that? And then they'll often open up and tell you. But, you know, I think a lot of people just think you might just turn up with a camera, plonk it down and just say, okay, tell me about this. And then like people just wouldn't open up to you that way. So you need to do it in the right way. You need to build that relationship, you know. Um, but behind the camera as well, I mean, there's, there's a, I think we have a relatively small crew on this. If you look at some TV programs, like you know, we, we were touching quite a small crew, but we got great help from a lot of people who've all contributed in different ways um, to make it happen over the, the past couple of years since we made it yesterday. Like we had Seamus Campbell, who uh, really helped out um, big time and, and actually interviewed Eamon as well. Um, he had the relationship with Eamon beforehand. And I think got amazing stuff out of Eamon, you know, and the, like everybody just remembers Eamon's lip quivering at the end. Um, but, you know, Seamus had that relationship with him before and knew him. So that, like, and that's what I mean about relationships with your contributors. You know, if you know them, you can ask them the questions or they feel that they can trust you with their answer. And it's often just knowing who's the best person for that. Um, then, you know, we also work with Slack Press and Yuri, who were a great company. Like, I, I might be biased, but I think they made it visually look like it was a Netflix documentary on a on a small budget, you know, because those guys are incredible. And Afro Mike Productions in Belfast, they came on board. Um, they really helped get it over the line. But within there, like Emma, is the, she came on as an executive producer. We had Stacey and we had Laurie, who was a, who was a researcher on it, and it was just incredible. Um, and then, obviously, we had Causeway Pictures as well in Belfast who had helped us out. So, so like, Margaret and Krista really, really gave a lot of advice and help. So, you know, it looks like it's a small crew, but everybody helped so much every step of the way to make it happen. Um, and you just, you know, particularly with TV and documentaries, you just can't do things by yourself. And you'll know that yourself now as well. Um, and even the fact of trying to get, get to some boxers or get some opinions, you know, it was, it was just amazing to be able to call on people that we had worked with, like Gavin Casey. Definitely one of the the most important parts, I think, in the doc because you always kind of need something like a figure like that, um, someone who's who becomes almost the spine of the piece that you can always refer back to and that they can kind of set the tone for where you are and where you need to be in it. Gavin did that brilliantly. Um, his knowledge of boxing is just ridiculous anyway. Um, you know, and he's got his opinions on it and his own views on it, which was great because that's really what we wanted. We just wanted to, to kind of paint a picture of this, but not make it too boxer heavy at times. You know, you need to step away and get you know, people's valid opinions on it. I think Gavin did that brilliantly. Obviously, like, he's um, a journalist at the 42 and has covered boxing all around the world. So to even have that kind of, that level of quality, again, on the documentary as another contributor, it was just brilliant. You know, I think everybody across the board, contributor-wise, we we picked the very best. And, you know, Gavin was no exception in that. Um, he was such a great help. Even just kind of like to, to bounce things off. Um, once he got involved, he was happy just to give advice. And, you know, you always need that. Um, and again, uh, Mark Dunlop as well. Mark was super. And, you know, everything that Mark's achieved, it felt great just to give Mark that little bit of spotlight. Because obviously, you know, he does a lot of work behind the scenes, but his fighters, like quite rightly so, get all the credit. Um, but it was nice just to give Mark 
that little moment where he can talk about his experiences and what he's done with fighters as well, because um, he's done a great job. We've built up a lot of goodwill over the past few years, particularly with sideline films, and I've worked freelance for companies and built up that goodwill. So Jamie Conlon was a massive help, giving advice, um, and also like Scott Hammerton at Matchroom. Matchroom worked with us amazingly, trying to get us uh, archive footage because archive costs a fortune. Anybody who makes documentaries knows this. Some of these companies worked with us and really, really helped us out. You know, otherwise we just couldn't have afforded to make it. When you have it all done and dusted, is it a case of giving to the guys looking at first, or do they see it when we see it? Oh no! Like the guys, um, everybody who, all the contributors, they only saw it when it went out on TV that night. You know, wow. the only person who actually got a sneak preview was Brian McGee because um, the BBC had asked him to do a lot of media, so he was doing interviews, and they were asked. Obviously, the journalists get to see it. I think. I, th- I think so. Anyway, the journalist were asking questions about it. And he was like, oh, Ali, I, I don't know what they're talking about because I haven't seen it. So I sent him through a link and he watched it then. So whenever he was doing interviews, he was able to talk about it. But other than that, like the only people that see it before it goes out is the, you know, is the executive producer and myself. Like we're just we're just going back and forth with notes and um, and that's it. So but that's why I was so nervous as well, because I think if it wasn't COVID times, what you could do is have a screening in a bar some night and get everybody together and be like, here's the film, here's blah, blah, blah. Whereas we couldn't do that. So these guys were literally seeing it at the same time. That's, that's amazing, that's man. That's, now yeah, I, I so, understand now, because I, I think my first response when I when I messaged you about it, because you're you're in fact correct with two or three parts of this, I don't want to, and there's no spoilers. I'll put the link for the iPlayer in this in these notes, but mm-hmm. there was one or two parts in it, but one of them was, of course, the, was McGee. And, and, for so many reasons not just because of its poignancy in the part of the program and, and the documentary but because he is who he is and because his life is what it is and it, and it was what it was and to see it yeah. it's that beautiful rawness of a sport that's all the often times and most times portrayed in, in a far different light yeah, I tell you what actually I wasn't nervous about Eamon seeing it because I was like that's you know people know Eamon's story he told it in a book so he didn't tell us anything that people don't really know Um. I was slightly nervous about the crying at the end. Would he think, oh, no, I don't want people to see that. But that just shows the love that he has for it. I was actually nervous about Burnett seeing it because, you know, Burnett's retirement, obviously, has been covered. I think the Irish News did a good piece on it, um, and there's a few others. But it hasn't been covered in the depth that we went into. And I was like, I was really nervous about Ryan seeing it and thinking, you know, did we do it justice or him being annoyed maybe about how we did it? Or, But I, I feel like we, we towed the line really well and we – we it was, it was a tight balance, you know. We didn't want it to be overly emotional and force home the fact that this horrible things happened. I didn't want him to feel, you know, depressed after watching it, being like, "Oh, I lost so much." But I think it just it told it really nicely, and that's something that we were very, very conscious of in the edit. You know, I, I wanted to make sure that each person who told us their story and gave us their time would feel proud of what they've done. And I got a lovely, lovely message from Ryan. As soon as the film finished, he was like, thank you so much. I'm delighted with it, yeah. which meant the world to me because I knew Tyrone would be fine because he comes off really well and, you know, he wins his title. And I knew Brian would be happy because he told me beforehand. But with, with Ryan, I just wanted to make sure that he was happy with how he told his story. Would there be much prep have to go into the contributors, the lads themselves? Do you have to give them an idea of what's coming? You probably can't plonk them in front of a camera and just ask them here. Yeah, it is. Like I said, you know, you'll have phone calls or meetings with them. Um, but also, it's an awkward conversation. Like, you know, if I need to talk to you about something that's happened to you, it's a very awkward conversation mm-hmm. getting around to that sometimes. And 
the good thing is once we started filming with Ryan Burnett, Ryan was had just unified the division and was at the peak of his powers. So we were interviewing a young Ryan Burnett who had the world ahead of him and was thinking, I'm going to achieve this. You know, I've got 10, I've got 10 more years. Well, in fact, what he actually said was, I want to get out by the time I'm 30. But Ryan's like two years younger than me, I think. So he's only like 28 now. So he, he should still have two more years of, of doing that. Um, but yeah, so our approach was completely different with Ryan. Our approach was completely different with Tyrone. Uh, and how it was to Eamon and Brian, obviously. But, yeah, like I said, with Brian, you would just raise the conversation to say, I want to talk about this and that. What experiences do you have in this area? I keep saying to these young fighters, it's a sign that this, this city has thrown off the shackles. It's it's showing now, listen, this is what we are. Now, what we were, we know what we were, we know what's gone. But here's what we are now. We're bringing Falls Park. We're bringing Windsor Park. Mm-hmm. This is the new era. Is, is that a big part? Of- I don't know what it's like in the South, but when you grow up in the North here, it's obviously, you've heard it all your life. Like, we've lived through it. We've had soldiers on the streets outside our house. And we've, but everybody's kind of, we've moved on from that. As a generation that are coming through now, yes, by all means, like, we, we're very aware of what, what has happened, and we know that that's our history. But personally, I don't want to put it into projects because it's mentioned in everything. And boxing is the, is the shining example of something that thrived amongst trouble. So I was like, why would I focus on the thing that boxing actually broke? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, why would I even comment on it? There's no point. Boxing was the one thing. I think boxing and music probably hand in hand were yeah. the, the things that, that the troubles, that managed to get people through the troubles, you know? You know what it is? That is probably the most perfect answer because it's something that got to me. as Growing up in the South here, we, there's a naivety and, 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 and I'm saying that and, and if I'm wrong, I wear that too. But there's an awful tendency down here saying, oh yeah, we know what it was like. Yeah, we know what it was like. Sorry, stop right now. You don't. We don't. Collectively, we have no freaking idea. How could we? I wanted to give a shout out to Paul McLoon who listens in the odd time and he's, of course, the undertones were, were a huge part yeah. of, of the trouble. Massive music part. Terry Hooley and the undertones and stiff little fingers like all those punk bands yeah it was just a massive and, and it was yeah, the two, two huge outlets that just that yeah 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 i think it's fair to say ali it's been a resounding success that in itself is probably going to bring it's going to fuel your your future work it's going to bring an added pressure probably naive of me to ask what's next what, what, when and what can we expect to see without too much detail um yeah there was a few things that i was working on just before lockdown but i'm working with the bbc full-time now so i'm working on a an, on a nice series that will be out hopefully before christmas a nice short series that's just going online. Um, but yeah, you, you never know. It's just always one of those things where, like, you know yourself, you've got a thousand ideas in your head and you're just trying to make one come into fruition. Ah, there's something very special when you've taken a little bit of a break, you've had a little bit of time away, then you, you start putting together something that's just becoming a little bit, let's just say a little bit special. Thanks very much, Ali. Really appreciate it. Always learn so much. Always do and always appreciate it. And before we start winding this episode down, here is the aforementioned Gavin Casey. Ali pisses me off to no extent, to be honest. <laughs> the, the, the talent of the man is actually quite extraordinary. I think for a guy of his age as well, and I know a lot of people think age is kind of irrelevant, but for a guy to be doing what he's doing, directing films and making um be it short sports documentaries or now trying to break into longer ones and, and to be working for the BBC as well as he is now at 29 is a testament to how good he is. You know how boxing is perceived. You know boxers are. Still at times it blows me away 
how incredibly simplistic they are. The bigger the star, the more normal they tend to be. And, and people don't believe that sometimes. I think this documentary goes a long way to showing some of that. What were your thoughts when you watched the final cut? I was surprised by the extent to which it moved me, actually, because mm-hmm. I would have been in contact with Ali a fair amount uh, throughout the editing process. Not that I had, not that I offered absolutely any assistance. It was more so uh, we'd, we'd chat fairly regularly anyway, and he'd keep me up to speed on how things were going. And I had seen a good few clips from it, or, or you know, even promos and things going back a year or so and so I, I kind of knew the theme of the documentary and I knew the stories of the people involved in it as well uh, without necessarily knowing the fighters all that personally uh, so what I my kind of immediate reaction to it was when you had Eamon McGee uh, shedding a tear towards the end and uh, you know YouTube Beautiful Day kicks in and, and there is that sort of more optimistic or, or kind of um, it's not even melancholic. I think it is largely positive. The ending, it, it, I had to, I nearly had to clear the room a little bit. You know what I mean? It, in relation to what you said there about fighters and, and guys who get to that level, uh, yeah, there is a humility uh, to most. I, I think it's. I don't think we should undersell the fact that to Irish fighters, uh, most pertinently or most especially, there there is a kind of a, a salt of the earthness that never tends to leave them. I'm forever blown away by meeting guys who do reach that level by how normal they are as you say and i suppose by the fact that even people like carl franklin who literally wouldn't be able to walk down the street in belfast without being stopped for autographs or selfies i suppose in this day and age um that he just seems so disaffected by it or or unaffected by it uh and remains this kind of like pillar of his community incredibly famous north of the border relatively famous south of the border and is literally at the same time just a lad from Tigers Bay. And I thought that uh, Ali depicted that incredibly well with the guys uh, in the film as well. But there's a time for everything with them, and, and that's, that's what the really good ones do. They make time for people, and, and they never forget where they've come from. And, and they realise that the simplest of gestures and the simplest of things mean the most to, to, to an ordinary people. And Ali's trust and standing in the business is only... It's, it, it's, it, was, it was already at a stage, but I think now with this... Uh, I'd say his phone is going to be busy over the next while of it. As if he doesn't have enough on his plate. Like, you know, he's, he's after starting with the BBC now, he's, he's due to get married next summer. But I, I'd imagine the next 12 or so months will be busy for him for sure. And like, I, I literally, as a friend of his, but also just objectively, I can't wait to see what he does next. Yeah. And one distinction I'd make between boxers, particularly Irish boxers, and other athletes, be they from Ireland or otherwise, is that in an interview or before an interview, if you're chatting with a boxer, invariably and almost without exception, they'll ask you how you're doing. Yes. Which is like, which might sound like the most obvious thing in the world to people at home. But when you work in, in your job, Al, or in mine, where you're interviewing people quite regularly, it's actually quite uncommon. Like the people are there, like GAA players, rugby players, soccer players, whatever. Be it at a, like, okay, press conference isn't the, isn't the setting at which to, uh, or in which to be asking how people are, or exchanging niceties, whatever. But even at press junkets or whatever, where somebody's selling some bullshit off the top of their tracksuits it tends to be quite a a quite business-like transaction where it's like let's get to the chase here's your 10 minute interview and and let's get out of here whereas boxers have um, 
I find they don't lose the the humanity or they don't lose the kind of human touch uh, in in your interactions with them. Now that you say it, it, it's it's so obvious when you've said it. Your line, Gavin, jumped out was one. You're right. There was a couple of lines, a couple of points in that where I choked, and I and I messaged McKenna was one of them. I said, "You bastard, you have me again." Here, <laughs> when you see him with his kids, nobody sees yeah. that. You know, when you see McGee and you think of everything that went into his life, his story, and you see that lip quivering, mind quivered. And then when I saw Brian McGee standing on the side of the ring, Holy Trinity, and they've, you're referred to, they've spent their life chasing the dream, and suddenly they wake up one day, it's all over and done with. Look, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't recite the line for you now uh, verbatim, but I suppose what I was trying to say, um, and hopefully I made the point relatively succinctly, was that they are working towards something for the entirety of their adult lives, and, and often, um, from even before that, from the age of 7, 10, 12, whatever, and you can be pursuing this dream of winning belts or most likely becoming a world champion at some point for, in some cases, decades. But ultimately, it'll, it, it might only take one night to prove that, A, you're not going to get there, or B, you've gotten there and it's over. And you're heading back now to um, to relative obscurity uh, or to the abyss of the rest of your life. It's a precarious living to be making in the sense that it's, it's financially insecure anyway, but it's just a precarious dream also because when you consider the bottleneck that it is and how many people actually go on to achieve that dream out of all of the people that are chasing it, it's minuscule. So it's, I guess there's a real futility to it, which Ali does a magnificent job of depicting in his film. Yeah. We get to see it with Burnett, as you say. Like, Burnett, that guy, the world at his feet, you know, like, I, I think whatever about beating Lee Haskins for a world title, Ryan was favoured to beat Haskins. Haskins was a, an accomplished guy, don't get me wrong, but probably on the wrong side of um, of his own career at that point. And Burnett did very well to, to beat him in the circumstances. Um, the Zacchiano fight, I think, is, is a very underrated victory. Like, that was a fucking oh, tough night at the office for Burnett. I mean, my God, I was, I was ring flipping that one, and uh, that was a, a serious war of attrition and proved Burnett's toughness. I know he was whisked off the hospital afterwards, actually, because I think he was experiencing headaches, and I remember thinking, uh, on the one hand, obviously, I was naturally concerned, as were all of the media present, uh, but on the other hand, I was thinking, how could you not be having headaches after that fight? Genuinely, you know, like... It was an absolute thumping in both directions. Um, and then this John Air fight comes along in the World Boxing Super Series. And really, uh, Burnett, Burnett was made to get to the final of that. I, I know he, was, he would have been in with really formidable opposition, but we didn't get to see that fight against Tede, which would have been a, a really nice kind of Hearn versus Warren grudge match. Anyway, as well, it would have been a... Anyway was the one, yeah. Anyway was the one, wasn't it? Where it was like, if Burnett got to the final, I think it would have worked out that he would have fought against Anyway. I could be wrong there now. Yeah, it, it's right, been too. a while, but but like, yeah. Look, I think it's difficult to make the case for for Burnett beating Anyway, but that's not to suggest that he couldn't have done it. Um, he he was a good enough boxer, I think, to trouble Anyway, and we saw Donair trouble Anyway quite significantly when they eventually met. It was a shame. It was a shame, and then. Look, on the other hand, as Burnett explains very well in the film, he earned enough money in that Dernier fight, especially to be able to open a gym. I think he'd already owned a house at that point. He's just recently after getting married. Um, and he is set up. Like, he's had a, a real 
springboard or a real head start, I think, in life compared to most people around our age. I think he's 27, 28, the same as myself. So uh, it, it worked out in one sense in that he earned a fair amount of money from boxing um, and he, he emerges with his health intact. But then on the other hand, it's like he was so young and uh, at such an early juncture in his career, really, that he could have gone on to become this Irish sporting legend. What jumped in my mind as you were talking there was if you and I wonder and I wonder a lot about what ifs and what might have been imagine what Brian Barnett must have been thinking at that point immediately afterwards it, it's it just you're 100% right but the older the fighters I speak to the more willing they are to throw down right now like I mean you meet lads from those eras of 20-30 years ago like you say and they would very much willingly lace them up and go toe to toe here now and then I don't get that impression from everyone of this current era I get the impression from a lot of these lads they're there to make what they can while they can to do the best they can while they can invest it and get out do you think that as these generations as they go by that it'll become a lesser and lesser thing that they'll they'll just do it as long as they can and they won't miss it the way the older guys do I think that where some young fighters for example in this day and age be it in Ireland or, or elsewhere are less willing to take risks it's a symptom of the O in their records yeah. uh, taking precedence over everything else, which is well well discussed and well documented at this point, and it is really a nonsense. I mean, you've got guys who, you know, domestic level fighters signed to whoever in Ireland, who are maybe two and O, three and O, who genuinely won't ever probably even get to Irish title level, but are kind of thinking further down the line where. Uh, some defeat might set them back and prevent them from going on to to fight uh, for more significant titles even than the Irish title, whereas they would be far better served fighting a guy from down the road in Dublin, putting on a a memorable war in Drimna or in the the stadium or up north or wherever, I guess, uh, these days on one of Leonard Gunning shows or whatever. Through the generations, I do think it's healthy that fighters have a greater understanding of the benefits of getting out early if you can like if you've set up if you set yourself up financially don't hang around clearly yeah clearly people have a better education on the potential look the potential not only long-term effects but even short-term effects uh in in relation to brain injury and so on that we see around the world constantly um and, and that's a, that's a good thing and i would never hold it against a fighter to retire as we might call it prematurely before i'm going to ask you this last question and let you go and i appreciate it very much giving me your time and um, the Not reaction the reaction has been phenomenal and deservedly so i think it's pulled back the curtain a little bit do you think that this will go a long way towards showing non-fight fans and non-boxing geeks as i like to call them the real world of boxing. Yeah, the film will to anybody who watched it for sure. I, I got that impression even looking at some of the feedback on Twitter, uh, which was universally positive for Ali, and, and I'm delighted that it was. But I think the two most common themes to the, the tweets or even Facebook messages and comments that I saw afterwards were like, A, brilliant film. B, didn't realize it was like that. Um, from a lot of people, as you say, who would be non-boxing geeks or uh, maybe just more casual sports observers. I guess it's important as well for anybody listening to to kind of give it a a second life or a longer shelf life in that it's I think available on the BBC iPlayer still and it's the more people who watch it the better and by extension of that I think 
more things like that should be done. To draw the perfect line under this and to give you your props for us, Joe, as well, is the article you did with Rob Gorman and Rodri as he led. And shout out to him. I mean, that in itself is a phenomenal story. And that in itself is, he's amazing. Boxers are, are they're just, they give an awful lot more than they get most of the time. And I was delighted to see recently that Rob, uh, or yeah. Rodri, as you say, had a, had a kid with his partner now, which is... Um, Imagine that. Jesus. I just honestly feel like, I mean, that interview would have been in the, I think we did it in the week leading up to Mayweather against McGregor so it was quite it was quite impactful for me as a as a journalist I don't mind saying in the sense that it, it opened doors for me it probably uh, exposed me to other journalists who, who shared it and stuff and it, it did help me a lot at that time career-wise but I think it was mutual also in that I got the impression from him at the time that he'd been looking to tell that story for a long time and when you consider some of the pitfalls that he experienced were directly related to boxing like ultimately a missed weight kind of sent him on a downward spiral now i know he was later diagnosed as being bipolar but like that's how tenuous or how uncertain it can be is that like literally just missed weight and his life just went completely off the rails from that point onwards and so to see his life not only back on the rails but actually going extremely well from now uh jenny when he warms my heart i, I can't pretend yeah. that i'm in constant contact with him or anything we i'd sort of fire him a, a facebook message maybe once every six months or whatever he might do the same to me and i think we we'll probably weirdly enough always just have that little connection of the time that we did that story and you know as gav spoke there about that one night in a fighter's career when they ultimately they realize that they will or won't fulfill their dream reach their boxing mecca reach the precipice or scale the summit the one fighter that came to mind of all of the fighters that I've spoken with and of all of the boxing people I've spoken with and of all of the stories that we've seen and heard over the years was Jamie Conlon came to mind he spoke so openly and honestly recently about that night when he fought Hans Hallis and, and how he sat in the dressing room after the fight and he knew in his heart, he knew in his deep in his soul, that one part of his career is over. But thankfully, it's only the beginning of what now will be a longer story and an even more beautiful story when it comes to fruition as he makes new dreams and new goals. But I digress. Gavin, thank you for your time. Uh, really, really appreciate it. And I, I, I take a lot from the journalistic documentarian I guess because it's relevant most relevant but I really appreciated it I really enjoyed it and I'm just about to wrap this episode up which is taking a little bit longer I guess it's like riding a bike when you stop doing it for a while it's going to take a little bit longer but I hope you enjoyed it nonetheless going to have a little bit of roundup with the news everything that's coming everything that's gone and everything that might just happen yet rumours and reports suggest that Fury Wilder 3 is now off with stories telling us that Team Wilder's contract has expired and looks likely now that the Gypsy King will box in the UK sometime before Christmas. Interesting, not surprising. MTK Golden Contract, as I mentioned earlier on, the final, the Featherweights, has been refixed, rescheduled for December the 2nd, Wednesday, Jazza Dickens, Ryan Walsh, alongside the light heavyweight finals featuring Balotnik versus Serge Michel. That's one to watch out for. Recent stories also suggested that Carol Frampton and Jamal Herring could happen, in fact, before Christmas. They 
do depend an awful lot on Shakur Stevenson stepping aside, which in turn then will require a 90-day mandate for him to face the winner. Another interesting intricate ball of wool for Bob Arum, top rank, and all of those to unwind. But watch it closely and see. Paddy Donovan takes a huge step up in his next fight. He'll face former Southern Area champion Jermaine Camaro on November 11th. There's lots of backwards and forwards from Camaro's side and lots of he saying this and he saying that. As usual, Paddy doesn't speak a whole lot. He will speak with us soon. How soon, I don't know. But that's one to look forward to as well. Time will tell ultimately how good uh, Camaro will figure in the table of Donovan opponents. But one thing's for sure, we'll be, we'll be team real deal to the hilt. Caitlin Phelan, Matt Tinkler are out this weekend. Two big fights for both. Phelan flies to Germany to face Jessica Shad- Shadko, while Matt looks to make it 4-0 in New York. And a big shout out and best of luck to both of you. Of course the Queen Bee, Katie Taylor, will face her mandatory WBO mandatory challenger, Miriam Gutierrez, on November 14th. I don't know if a venue has been confirmed. I'm led to believe it may well be Wembley Arena. But we'll watch that and see. And the story now is that Jack Catterall has taken a step-aside fee to allow Josh Taylor face Jose Ramirez for the unification fight for all the marbles in that division. Having waited three years or more, or said the guts of, for his shot, Catterall now happy to step aside, hold on, keep his powder dry. He's 25-0. and 0. And uh, the fight, at this stage, I suppose, it's like the Johnny Logan song, what's another year? Kelbrook, Terence Crawford will face off on November 14th. This is a bizarre scenario. Really, really is bizarre. It's in Las Vegas or in Omaha. To be decided, shall we say. It used to be in GA terms, TBA or TBC. He won't be trained by Dominic Ingle. He won't be promoted by Matram. It's been negotiated by his dad. And he seems to be going it alone. Bizarre to say the least. And last, but very much not least, my girl, our girl, Lady Luck herself, Beck Conley, faces Eve's Ellie Scottney this weekend on the Matram card. Now, anyone who doesn't know Beck, anyone who doesn't know her story, she is the top of the pile. An absolute diamond. She's got the dirtiest most beautiful brilliant laugh you're ever likely to hear she is the epitome of no quit never said I absolutely drive it to the max now I know a little bit I won't say I know more than anybody else but I think I'm lucky enough to have chatted with Beck quite an awful lot uh, in between interviews and in between appearances here and there and everywhere else she's a fantastic lady she's as real as they come she gets up and makes shit happen. There's no sitting back feeling sorry for herself. There's no making excuses. And there's not too much whinging. She's a morning head. I would absolutely hate to be anywhere near her in the gym or anywhere like that so early in the morning. Because me, I'm a grouch. I am the world's worst. I'm grumpy old men rolled into one. First thing in the morning I just cannot cope. But listen Beck. This is there now for you. It's another big fight. It's one that we didn't think was going to happen. You didn't think was going to happen. I told you there was something coming down the line for you. Did I know what it was? No. Did I know something was going to come? Yes, I did. Because you cannot work as hard as you do. You cannot put in the graft that you do and not get some reward for it. So, girl, go get it. And the very, very last shout-out of this episode. Team Ireland sparring camp across there in Assisi in Italy for the last couple of days they'll be there for another week to ten days I believe 
big shout out to each and every one of you guys doing what you do representing in style representing in class and that's it and that's that thanks for listening if you liked what you heard today share it spread it around tell everybody you can about it if you don't like it didn't like it give us a shout let me know why email us endswellpod at protonmail.com you'll get me across all the anti-social media platforms Facebook Twitter Instagram you know yourself keep an eye out across there over the coming days for the launch of Violent Gentlemen the Belfast boxing brand of leisure wear coming really really soon and there's a video about to drop in the coming days that's very special to say the least so shout out to Ross shout out to Violent Gentlemen it's very very quickly going to become an established brand in Irish and boxing circles afar that's it from me and them until then I'm going to put the links for everything we discussed today for Gavin Casey's article on Rob Gorman I'll put the link for the BBC iPlayer where you'll find when boxing ends get along there on social media say hello to Gavin say hello to Ali McKenzie say hello to Jazza Dickens I'll be back with you next week with another episode closing it out with a special thought and a special shout out for a special someone you know who you are you know where you are and until that next episode stay safe stay sane and keep smiling All's well that ends well.